Welcome to the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations podcast. In this series, we showcase research projects across the arts and humanities, drawing on expertise from the University of Oxford and the Berlin University of the Arts, and integrating scientific methodologies with artistic expression. Welcome to our final installment exploring the interaction of machine learning and human creativity. We're here with Abby Williams, Professor of English Literature at St. Peter's College, working with graduate students and local AI company Charisma on WillPlay, an AI-enabled platform that gets young learners to text with characters from Shakespeare's plays. Joining us is Jussi Englesleber, Professor at the University of the Arts Berlin, and also creative director at Art and Com Studios. So Yussi, how are you using big data? We've been talking a lot about language technologies in context of AI. So a lot of these high-end models are done by big corporations that then release the final model for selected users to develop applications on top of. And then you can use your own training data to fine-tune put the Shakespearean language to the general language model on top, for example, or make it into a order, like a coordinates a restaurant meeting, but in a polite way that is still built on top of this big model that just comes as given and you cannot access the training data. And therefore the training data will have its implicit biases and structures that there is no access to. But that's how it is. There is no way around it because right now it's still a matter of resource to refine the models. You need to have a lot of money to spend into electricity bill to do this training. So in parallel to that, what we have done in our studio work is, for example, looking at interactions in exhibitions using a machine learning based tracking of people's movements so not in the sense of detecting different poses themselves but detecting gestures so it's called action detection so you can detect different actions as sequences of poses if you will so if somebody's doing a gesture it's different than just looking at single poses as once because the gesture has much more it's a continuum so this has been one of those things that we have Like traditionally, we would have done these kind of things by trying to write a rule-based system. If the marker that has so-and-so color value that the user is holding in his or her hand is first in this quadrant, and then it moves in this direction, then it has to reach this area before it can go there and blah, blah, blah. So you try to kind of think rationally what the gesture would be, and then you try to write the code to represent it, and then you tweak it until it works, kind of. And then you still end up with frustrating results when somebody else with some different predicament tries to use it and then it doesn't work. So now with the machine learning, with the action detection type of approaches, we now just train the exhibit to do different things by dancing in front of it to say, pick this one, pick this gesture, and then doing it 100 times with different people, then the system can detect these kind of gestures. It's still a black box after what is actually being detected. But then that way, if something doesn't work, then we just keep on training it further, which is kind of a <laughs> funny, funny sort of a setup that a museum calls us, ah, there's a bug in the system. Oh, we'll send the trainer and the trainer will train it further. <laughs> and then maybe the last point to the agency now from the university's point of view, I think it makes a huge difference 
we are now talking about human creativity that we use machine learning techniques to do new things. If the human creativity, if the training data set is our own creation. So let's say now in my university, the University of Arts, we create something together with the dance department where the dancers or the choreographers own work will be the training data with which we then design something. Then this closed loop authority or authorship over the work is a totally different level than if there is a dance data set than a computer scientist is then loading and doing something with. So there's this understanding of where the data stems from so that the evidence, what the model is then doing, you can reflect in a completely different way. Tricky to do it in one brain. So you need a team. That's a very good point. I'd like to bring in Abby on that educational experience. Are there any particular insights and skills from your point of view that lend themselves to be developed with AI assistance? Well, I think the whole dialogue based and, you know, teaching is based on dialogue method, right? It's on sort of Socratic exchange where you have two people. And I think what you see was saying earlier about Eliza and how the AI initially was a kind of prompt to response. And it didn't really matter what so much what the AI said. It's what the respondent, the user, player, whatever, says back that is valuable. You know, that's what we now think of teaching as doing. It's about enabling response on the part of students rather than delivering information at them for them to passively write down. So in some ways, it doesn't really matter that the kind of lack of human identity or ownership of what comes out, that doesn't matter so much, really if what we're trying to do is to enable response on the part of the person we're trying to teach. So I think that what I've seen so far suggests that this staging of a dialogue, which is what's enabled by machine learning and a certain amount of kind of natural language processing to, I want to say trick, but it's not really tricking, or to encourage students to respond in their own words in ways that they understand is really powerful. What we're really doing is taking something which is thousands of years old and putting it into a new format. But it's the same basic idea that it's through talking to somebody else backwards and forwards that you learn the most. Thank you. To bring it on to the last chapter, considering ethical issues that arise when supporting an experience, enhancing an artwork with AI, who wants to make a start on this? I'm happy to make a start. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the ethical considerations for us have been, well, there's a kind of bigger one that just applies to all massive data sets of language or anything, which is where does it come from? What kinds of bias does it contain and perpetuate? If you're using a data set as the basis for a you know, series of kind of statements or conversations, what's there that will license modes of interaction that you wouldn't want to support or encourage? You don't have control over that. You don't know where it's come from. And then more particularly, just in terms of privacy and access to data about individual students, thinking about an educational environment and safeguarding and young people. And if what we want to do is to use the responses that individuals give us as a way of mapping their individual progress and benchmarking against others, then there are issues around the kind of personalization, individualization of those responses and how far they're identifiable with a young person and what we're doing with that data and who has it and that kind of thing. You see, you want to add to that? Yeah, actually, again, two strands coming to one. So in a different research project right now, we're looking at sensor data from the nature and sensor data from the limits between urban space and nature. And I realized that the nature is like 
nobody cares so the sensors can stream anything and it's it's sort of free for all and then when there's human community close by then the privacy issues are inherently there and then makes me think of well why they are not there when it's from somewhere else from the sort of your nature context and this is actually like a, as a reference but then i'm thinking now like back to will play again you have a computer mediated experience that is in the form of a chat so the user the visitor the guest or the learner is having a chat with an algorithm that is combining uh, pre curated responses and curated with the help of an ai to prompt the answers the right time but the user is having an intimate conversation with the character and then with the sort of a level of suspension of disbelief can be ascribing agency to the machine or playing with the machine and trying to break it either way it's a private conversation but then you can presumably then look at the transcripts yeah and then think about well what does this conversation that this student had with the machine tell about the student yeah and what do you think the issues are there i mean i think there are issues i'm interested to know what you think yeah <laughs> I mean, the issues are exactly the same that this general data literacy kind of European strategy against the American hegemony maybe is trying to push this uh, general data protection right, uh, the access to our own data, all this kind of stuff is the, at the meta level, a little bit of the same. So that in this case, it is so easy to be, I can imagine that when you're in the experience, even if you check the box at the beginning, you agree with whatever end user license agreement that there is but when you're in the conversation it is a conversation and there's nothing in the conversation that reminds you of the fact that it is open conversation at least to some that's a tricky one because the more blunt you put it in your face the more it breaks the experience yeah that's a really good point there's also something just i don't know how to frame this as an ethical issue but there's also just something weirdly voyeuristic about looking at how a teenager's had a conversation on what they with a suspension of disbelief yeah think is a is a one-to-one -one whatsapp message right because the format is also the whatsapp message which is inherently private except that for those with knowledge not necessarily and therefore end-to-end -end encryption is important and all that but it's also like that cannot be at the foreground of everybody's mind at all times therefore eu etc need to protect the user by setting the legal framework so that the companies are playing by the rules Yes, Do you have any I, yeah, starting points for any researchers who might be listening to this, who want to integrate autonomous systems into their own investigations? Any do's and don'ts? Maybe the, the only advice I would have is that given the facts that we are talking about extremely hyped technological trend, building your own critical attitude through as much as possible hands-on experience, the better. And there are tools like uh, Runway ML, an online platform that helps you play with these different machine learning algorithms with very little previous experience. Then there's countless online courses that give you the foundations, which is very good to look at in parallel with reading the news, because through the news, you get the latest developments flavored with the hype. And then if you in parallel study a little bit of the foundations and experiment with hands-on with your own data, with your own attitude, with your own sort of sources, then I think that's the only sort of general purpose answer I can give to that. Abby, do's and don'ts? 
I feel like whatever I say is just super hypocritical because I have no idea. You know, I can't code and I have no idea what happens under the bonnet. I'm just happy to take a tool and do what I can with it. And if it works, it works. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I think more seriously that being curious is a great thing. Like being curious about things which are outside of your comfort zone is a wonderful thing to do as a researcher and thinking about the ways in which like what I was saying earlier about technologies unleashing a kind of creativity which is very human is quite an important, rather than supplanting it, enabling you to do things that are within your skill set. For our listeners, it might be helpful. How do you manage, from a humanities or drama point of view, a, f- a successful collaboration with a technology partner? It helps if you really like them. I think being honest about what it is that you know, what you each bring to the table is really important. Recognizing what the kind of limits of your skills and understanding are and what the other person brings to the table and setting up work packages which really relate to those differential skill sets rather than getting muddled up in the middle with people in territory where they're not either confident or competent. So I think recognizing that you're, you'll bring different things and that's how collaboration works, right, is by the combination of those different ingredients. And I think just keeping on talking, keeping on talking about where you want to go, what you want to do, what your priorities are. They're not the same for researchers and businesses sometimes. Yeah, just being kind of frank about it all yeah. is good. Smiling. Yeah, actually, directly adding to that, I mean, this also maybe a little bit more from the media arts deep end, but uh, one great media artist, Zach Lieberman, once said that what you need for this high quality, creative, good results, you need time, space and license to fail. (laughs) Very good. Those are not exactly the kind of the parameters that are easily put into work packages of research grants. Because the, I mean, here the time is also means that time and space for serendipity that is not defined yeah. already beforehand, which you have to do in the grants. And then the, the opportunity to fail, which means that you can be more explorative instead of the either put exorbitant numbers of days to do something because you don't know and therefore it loses any sort of credibility or not being able to say what it actually is, which loses all its credibility. So actually we need this, the the ultimate skills are creative writing of research grants so that it has this potential and freedom at the same time. Maybe there's an AI bot that could help with that one day. My God, that's such a money spinner, isn't it? An AI to write (laughs) you brilliant grants. Thank you. Any closing remarks or anything that we left out? I'd like to say thank you both. This has been really fascinating. I couldn't agree more. Me too. This, I hope, will be a beginning of a longer conversation. Many thanks for listening to our work. We hope that you found it stimulating and that you will subscribe for more thought-provoking podcasts from artists and researchers working jointly in Oxford and Berlin. If you should like to get in touch, please email us on info at oib.ox.ac.uk.